don't let yourself be unemployed at achieving that spark-filled life for yourself because nobody's going to do it for you except you. Welcome to The Spark, a new series here on KRFC. My name is Stephanie James, and I'll be your host for this program. The Spark is a guide to living your best life. On each episode, we'll talk with luminaries who are experts in the field of psychology, health and wellness, motivation, psychotherapy, and more. Our goal is to give you, the listener, resources to help spark new ideas and create a more fulfilling life. We'll also be taking your questions to address specific issues you may be dealing with. You can reach us by email at thespark at krfcfm.org. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist with almost 30 years' experience in the field of mental health. The idea for this show came out of a deep passion to want to help other people create their best life in whatever capacity that was to help them reach their goals, to be motivated, to find that spark in their life. So in essence, that's what The Spark is here to do, to help you ignite your best life. On this episode, we're going to be talking about creating a spark-filled life. My guest, Larry Bloom, knows something about that. Larry Bloom is a clinical psychologist and professor emeritus at Colorado State University where he was the former director of the Psychological Service Center and director of training in the doctoral program. He has maintained a clinical practice for 43 years, where his specializations include health psychology, human sexuality, anxiety, and depression. Larry's daughter, Molly, is the real-life subject of the memoir, Molly's Game, which was adapted for film in 2017 by Academy Award-winning writer and director Aaron Sorkin. Actress Jessica Chastain portrays Molly in the film. So I've known Larry Bloom for 37 years. I realized this morning, 37 years. So I want to welcome you, Larry, to The Spark. Thank you, Stephanie. It it is so wonderful to have you here. I mean, to have you as the original guest on the debut show couldn't be more perfect. Well, I'm delighted to be here with you and walking around on this planet as well. I I am thankful that you are as well. Larry has been actually a very important person in my life, and so I'm just honored to have him here in the studio. He's been a mentor of mine. He actually has also been a professor of mine, family friend, uh, someone who's actually guided me on my own career path. So thrilled to have you, Larry. So we we were talking a little bit yesterday, actually, about what, what your passions were in your work, what your current passions were. And, and, and you had said, you'd said something to me about your current passion was to help people craft a more fulfilling, actually spark-filled life. So, so tell me more about that. So I became aware a number of years ago that uh, people quite frequently morph into a rut in life, whether it's as an individual or uh, as a part of a a team, a couple. And they just sort of uh, continue to do the same things and find themselves in a rut and and, and become bored with their life. And my philosophy is 
while you're on this planet, what you really want to do is you want to uh, live a spark-filled life rather than a rut-filled life. Yes. And what that does is it takes, first of all, a conceptual plan, a realistic kind of bucket list. I don't necessarily mean getting on a plane and flying to Africa, but I mean a realistic uh, bucket list. And then, and here's where people run into trouble, a commitment Mm. to what you decide to do to spark up your life with no excuses. Yeah. There's no room for failure here. No excuses whatsoever. And that's a kind of a passion of mine. I, I practice that myself. And uh, I, I really uh, encourage people to, to do that. And I, I'm going to ask you some questions about your own life and how you do that in your own life okay. in a minute. But, you know, I'm curious, when, when you talk about a bucket list, is, is there a certain age that people have to be to start creating this spark? Or can it really be whenever they notice they're, they're in this rut? That, that, that's an excellent question. Typically, people don't get in ruts. Um, there's exceptions, but typically they don't get in ruts until they become adults and they continue to do repetitive activities and, re- and, and live a repetitive-filled life. So while, it, while what I'm saying can occur at any age, usually it's when somebody reaches adulthood and has been in adulthood for some time. But what my philosophy is, is that you can live a spark-filled life at any time in your life, but the harder population is the older adult population, which necessary, which is absolutely uh, a population which needs to include a spark-filled life in their life as opposed to just a rut-filled life. I've experienced this myself in my own practice. A lot of times when people retire, they've, they've had this career that's just fulfilled them. They've defined themselves through that. And then all of a sudden, six months later, they're saying, I don't know what to do with myself I've, here. I've seen that. And I'm depressed. Yeah. 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 So... I, I think that those are some of the times you're talking about that would be important times to say, what is it? Right. Way before retirement. Yes. You, yeah. you, don't, you, don't, yeah. you don't wait till retirement to ask the questions and uh, do the brainstorming and uh, do the exploration of what you're going to be next. So way before retirement, because I've seen the same thing that you've seen as well. It's interesting you say that because I remember I was probably about 22 years old a student at Colorado State University, probably taking your human sexuality class at the mm-hmm. time. Right. And I went to talk to you, and I remember our conversation was really impactful to me at the time. And it was about you and I kind of both had this consensus that neither one of us were going to live a life without tinglies. Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've heard one person say, and, and uh, I, I, I see this in my youngest son, Leave this earth when you leave it. Leave it empty. Live your life. Live your life of bliss. Live your life of spark. Because this is the only go around we know for you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and and so I want to get into some of the specifics of some of the tools and things that you use. But, you know, one of the things, too, that just came to mind is oftentimes when I'm working with someone that's just gone through a divorce, and this is whether it's male or female, you know, they'll say to me, "I, I don't even know what I like to do. Like, I don't know what lights me up because I've been compromising for 27 years. Right. So that's the first thing that somebody has to discover. 
what is it that might be fulfilling to you? What is it that might make you smile? What is it that might make you feel good about yourself? Uh, that might enhance your character. And a lot of people don't know that. So the first step in living that kind of life is to go through that exploration. Sometimes uh, that's by free recall, just thinking in your mind, looking at uh, uh, all these possible things. Sometimes it's asking yourself, what is it that you've always wanted to do? And sometimes it's kind of looking at ideas that are being presented by other people. And there's, there's all kinds of ways to do it, but that's the first step, that a person has to do that first. It's like taking an inventory, it sounds it's like, taking right? An, yes, it's taking an inventory and exploring what it is that you want to try next. And we never know whether you're going to really get sparked by what you choose, but if you're sitting in the corner doing nothing, we're never going to know. Right. Uh, right. So, so you, you have to get in the game of trying to enhance your life. Uh, and, and get out of a rut. So it's not just thinking about it. There's got to be some action here. Oh, my goodness. The, the first thing is you th- you, you've got to explore it, on, and then you've got to get the pedal to the metal. And there are many, many, many different areas uh, that a person can look at and start slowly. So I'm going to try something new, something I've never done. I'm going to uh, take a course. I'm going to sign up for some community course. I mean, we have in Fort Collins, the recreator. It's packed full of all kinds of activities. I'm going to do something for the first time that I've never done, okay? Maybe this will take you a little bit out of your comfort zone. That's okay. I like that. So volunteering or writing a blog, uh, something you've never done before. Travel, if possible, if you're in the position, And if you're not in the position, how about weekend travel? Doing something, again, you've never done before, going someplace. Learning is a big area here. Learning breathing techniques or meditation. You know that there are wonderful apps for your smartphones that are uh, wonderful to learn these kinds of things that I'm talking about, meditation, breathing techniques. Uh, Learning a new language. Committing to something that's good for you. Uh, exercise or eating mm-hmm. differently, committing to character enhancement. I said that earlier. Services to others, volunteering mm-hmm. for people, engaging in random acts of kindness. I have a whole list of those kind of things. So these are some examples. A lot of ideas that I'm talking about here, but they're just ideas that mean nothing until you get the pedal to the metal. And you start slow. You don't start with incorporating all those things. You're busy in your life. You have this to do. You have that to do. But slowly, you build the sparks that are going to brighten you up. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I've noticed with a lot of my clients is they'll get overwhelmed with, there's so many things they want to do. There's so many things they feel like need to be changed about them that they're literally going from zero to 100. You know, it's this all or nothing thing. Like, okay, I'm in inertia right now, but oh my gosh, to do, have a wonderful life, that's just too difficult for me to even conceptualize. You know, it's just too much. I've got to join the gym and I've got to, you know, sign up for these classes and they're trying to do it all at once. And and I know for myself, and, and you can tell me if this, you know, rings true for you too, I'm like, start small. No question. I mean, it. you know, it's, it's what is it, um, Oh, I can't remember the the person who said, you know, a journey starts 
with, you know, one step. So, you know, a thousand mile journey starts with a single step. And I, I believe that that's true. And so I literally even tell clients who are wanting to do this change, what is one thing that you could do that would help you feel better now? Exactly. And just practice that for a week, even if it's 15 minutes of exercise Whatever in the is. morning. Right. You don't have to do all the changes all at once. Start slow and then see what's successful, see what lights you up. And if it doesn't light you up and it's not successful, that's okay. You got in the game. Like for myself, I wanted to learn, I don't know why, I wanted to learn how to play a blues harmonica. Love it. And I went for lessons and I got my harmonica and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And it, I wasn't successful because I just didn't have the talent to play the blues harmonica. I came to the conclusion that this was something that was going to take thousands of hours for me. And it wasn't, but that's okay. So I went to something else. Um, yeah. But start small is right. I, I echo your sentiments exactly. Well, and I love what you're saying. It's okay to dabble and then that's not your thing. Exactly. You, you can choose something else. Exactly. You know, and one of the things, too, that I, that I do with clients is have them write down, and, and some of this is recollection, because they might not have felt a lot of passion mm -hmm. in the last five, ten years, but what are the things that do light you up? What are the things that bring you pleasure? And so making a list, like literally writing it down, we know we can't just think about it. We've got to tell our brain this is important. Write it down. So coming up with those things that I said, you know, calendarize it. If something that makes you feel good is going out and taking a walk and being in nature or going to the dog park or taking a pottery class, you, there's something inside of you telling, hey, that's something that lights me up. So I think that's a great idea because that's part of the inventory, something that you think would make you feel good. But then there are other things that people don't think about that might make them feel good. One of the things that I've seen people engage in that, that have provided spark in their life it, and they haven't thought about this, is they've gotten involved in service to others. That's not something that a lot of people necessarily would, have, would tell me, but when it's suggested, what about this? And then they get involved in that, man, they kind of forget about themselves and they really feel good about what they're doing a lot of the time. Absolutely. So the point I'm making is, yes, look at an inventory, look at what it is that lights you up, look at what your passions are, let me give you some other ideas and see what this feels like to you. Uh, so you bring in both uh, ends of the spectrum there. So, so what you're saying is you're also, you're also inviting them to kind of like try it on. Exactly. Try on something exactly. else. Exactly. See, 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 see how it fits. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm curious for you, Larry, in your own life. Have you ever had a time when you felt like, you know, I'm kind of at a lull or I'm at a plateau, not necessarily in a funk or not necessarily where you weren't lit up. From knowing you, I know you're a person who continually kind of creates these sparks in your life, but I'm curious, have you ever found yourself in that place? And then what did you do? How did you get to a different place? So I, I do think that I was, I, I don't know if lull is the best word, but I do think I was in working situation where I was so busy that I didn't have as much time for myself to explore different ideas. So years ago, I was a professor at the university. I was trying to 
work up the ladder from assistant professor to associate to full professor. I was involved in clinical practice. I was in administration, and I was trying to be a good dad. So it was it was very, very full. Yeah. And there was less time during that period of time for myself. But I don't think I felt like I was in a lull. Uh, I felt like I was too busy at that particular time to try out new things. But that had meaning for me because everything that I was doing felt purposeful. Yeah, it was important. It was important. It yeah. was very yeah. important. So that's, that's the only time I can really remember that I wasn't. And that went on for a number of years because I had, we had small children and they, it was, they were very important and my job was very important and I had less time to talk about what I'm talking about here today with you. So I'm curious, I imagine though at, at that point, some of those sparks that, that we're talking about when your kids were little, I mean, some of those sparks are just coming out of that experience. Oh, absolutely. With your children. Well, it's not like you have to go no, above and beyond and no. create something else. It's, it's happening. No, that was certainly my experience with, with, with such young children. It was, a, it was a wonderful time of life. Yes, it was a wonderful time of life with young children. When you're talking about helping people to, to decide or to help craft what it is that lights them up that they can plug into, what are the differences? Are there differences in people like between men and women and how they experience this? Or I was even thinking today, you know, between how an introvert would say, oh, yeah, this is what lights me up. And an extrovert who's very, you know, refueled by people. And we know introverts are refueled by alone time. That's going to look really different. Well, certainly different personality types are going to have different ideas about uh, what lights them up. I mean, introverts, people that are more shy, who love to read, reading lights them up. Yeah. Uh, uh, people that need less of that are more extroverted. They need connections with people to light them up. So, yes, different personality types are going to aspire toward different kinds of activities. So there's not one size that fits all. No, no. It's just individualized. No, absolutely. Okay. What if I'm a person who, you know, I don't, I don't really trust myself. I haven't really cultivated a relationship with myself. And, you know, so I guess I go back to the scenario, someone going through a divorce and they really don't know who they are. And part of it is like, it's scary to risk and to go out there and try new things. So what's helpful to help people kind of change their thinking, if you will, or adopt, you know, try on, if you will, again, the mindset to be able to, to plug into things. I think different people in our profession would have different answers for that, but I can tell you what I do. I really identify in an individual that you're talking about right now, two sides of them. One side is afraid, afraid to risk afraid that something's not going to work out well, afraid that catastrophe is going to happen, not really catastrophe, but, you know, it, uh, it's going to be a failure experience. And I sometimes name that side, and sometimes I name it Chicken Little. And then I look at the same person and I say, well, look, you know, there's another side to you. And this side is the side that has been strong and has shown strength in your life, even though you've been afraid at times. 
and it's kind of a, a tougher side. It's kind of a warrior side. So, so what you have to do, and the side that's in control of you is the one you feed. So what you have to do is you have to feed the, the, the tougher side, the warrior inside of you. And every time Chicken Little starts to make you afraid and blocks you, you have to sound the bugle and you have to call up the warrior and you have to kick Chicken Little's booty. Booty. <laughs> over and over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the warrior's going to say, bring it on, bring it on. I'm not listening to you anymore in my life. You're done. And, and, and uh, that's, what I, that's, what I, that's one of the strategies that I use. That's brilliant. I love that. I love that. I'm going to take it. <laughs> we all, we it. all take good things that we hear. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me actually of, of a gal who, you know, one of the things that she wanted to do was feel more comfortable going out. After being married 16 years, feeling like, you know, recently divorced, but didn't have the confidence. You know, it's like, I, I don't think people are going to find me interesting. I don't know that I have anything to offer, anything to say. And so kind of like in the realm of what you're saying, I, I love the whole warrior and chicken little parts. But I said, it, w it was the same thing. I said, I want you to try on confidence. Like you would try on an outfit. You're going to get dressed up in to go. She had an event she was going to. And I said, so I want you to think of it. First, think of a time where you felt really confident. That's already a part of you. So I want you to pull that up. Okay, so we did some sessions around just, you know, really pulling up that, feeling it, experiencing it. It's like rewiring it all in your mind, making it fresh. I know I'm this confident person. And I said, then when you go to this event, I want you to try on that outfit and feel you're just going to, we're going to do this like a scientific experiment. Mm -hmm. You walk into the room and your hypothesis is anybody here would love to talk with me. Mm -hmm. I've got something to offer. Mm -hmm. I have something to say. And I said, so no matter how this turns out, it's going to be fine. You're just collecting data, which gave her kind of, she was able to relax then and say, oh, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, this doesn't have to be a big deal. I'm just going to go collect data, try this out. Okay. She comes back the next week and she's like, I found myself in this doorway talking to these two men who are both vying for my attention. And she said, this is it. Terrific. I got it. Boy, <laughs> you that, know, that was a winner right there. That was a winner. And not, not that that happens every time. Right. Of course. Right. But, you know, I, I think there's really something to that. We can call up those parts in ourselves. Yes. When we need to help yes. ourselves get ignited and, and go into the situation yeah. that might not be comfortable or try the new thing that is, in, is unfamiliar to us. Before we take a short break, anything else that, that kind of comes to mind? I mean, you've talked about taking inventories. You've got to take action. Any other strategies that can help maybe someone that's out there listening that's saying, gosh, you know, I'd, I'd like to do something. I don't know how to mobilize myself. Yes, it completes the inventory and then take action. So the first step is taking inventory, finding out what it is that you can do, starting small to increase the spark in your life. And then the next step is taking action, making it happen. Here's the third step. No excuses holding yourself accountable. No excuses. Just go for it. Yeah. Way too many people get to the point where they have one excuse after another, after another, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And um, it's very important to hold oneself accountable and not let yourself back out of it and find one, uh, one excuse after another, after another. And then a commitment to some period of time. You're going to do this for some period of time. 
If you find out that this is the right match for you, wonderful. You'll come back in and you'll say, just like the person said, this is it. This is great. I'm having a great time. If not, you go on to something else. Is there a certain amount of time that you would recommend that someone try something else, you know, try something out before they would kind of go, ah, this isn't my thing? Well, I would think you certainly need to give yourself several experiences with a new area that you've chosen. It's hard to come up with a number sure, of, sure, of sure. times. You know, it depends on, on how, how important it is to you, that particular, like learning to play the uh, blues harmonica was important to me. I really wanted to do it. So I spent six months yeah. with the blues harmonica. And after six months, I just knew it was not happening for mm. me. Yeah. So, I, you know, for me, I guess it depends on how important it is for you. If learning to feel more confident in situations is important to you, I'm not going to put a time limit on it. Right. I'm yeah. not going to say yeah. six months. I'm going to say that's important to you. That's a life skill. That is important to you. You keep going for it. So it really depends on what we're talking about and how important it is to you as an individual. And it sounds like, and to keep showing up for yourself. Well, yes, you got to keep you showing. Know, you got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. Just go for it, even if it's uncomfortable. Exactly. Because the reality is time's going to pass no matter what. And so you can either do it and expand your experience, expand your life, or time's going to pass and you'll still be where you're at. Correct. You're listening to The Spark. We're going to have to take a little break here. Thank you, Larry, so much. We're going to step out for a quick moment. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the current events happening in psychotherapy. And we'll have more of my interview with Larry Bloom. You're listening to The Spark on KRFC. Approaching its 15th year on the air, KRFC is a community-centered radio station and streaming network focused on telling the stories of Northern Colorado. Our programming and operations are built by more than 200 volunteers who feature a wide variety of voices, opinions, and musical tastes. We produce over 65 shows locally with music, news, and community affairs programming with a hyper-local focus. We're streaming worldwide on www.krfc.fm and other platforms including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Echo, and others. To learn about how you can support KRFC through underwriting, visit www.krfc.fm. So we're back here with Larry Bloom, clinical psychologist, former Colorado State University professor, and amazing friend of mine. Um, you know, I want to take it to a little bit more of a personal level, and I want to talk about your kids. You, you've got some pretty amazing kiddos. I would agree with that. <laughs> I'm biased, though. Well, it's, it's true. So, so tell us a little bit about just a blurb, if you will. You know, just because I, I have to say. So Jeremy Bloom, I think I told you yesterday, I'm, I'm coming out of DIA. This is... So you're coming into DIA. No, I'm coming into DIA. Right. Yes, thank you. I'm coming into DIA, flew in from Atlanta. I get in, and I'm just about to get off the train. And I hear Jeremy Bloom's voice. Welcome to DIA. Colorado. Yeah, this is Jeremy Bloom, former Olympic gold medalist, and, you know, University of Colorado. I can't remember the whole spiel, but I was like, oh, my God, I got to call Larry. 
<laughs> so, so tell us about these kiddos. So uh, Molly is the oldest. Okay. And uh, as you said earlier, she has a major motion picture now called Molly's Game, written by Aaron Sorkin, up for an Academy Award. Best screenplay by Aaron Sorkin. Exciting. It's in the theaters now. It's in the theaters now, yes. Second is Jordan. He's the middle son. You don't hear as much about Jordan, but we are very proud of him. He is finishing up a cardiothoracic surgical residency, our fellowship at Harvard's Massachusetts General Hospital, and he's going to be a heart surgeon real soon. Wow. And then, of course, the baby is Jeremy, a two-time Olympian, a three-time world champion moguls skier, uh, only Winter Olympian to be drafted into the National Football League, where he was with the Philadelphia Eagles for two years and the Pittsburgh Steelers for a short time. After uh, college sports, he uh, became an entrepreneur, co-founded a company called Integrate, still with it. He's done um, television for fun, sports casting, a uh, show on CNBC for the last two years, Adventure Capitalists, started a major charitable foundation, Wish of a Lifetime to Fulfill Wishes for Seniors. Awesome. And on and on and on and on. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember back in the day he was a, he modeled for Calvin Klein. Uh, Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, t- Tommy Hilfiger. Right. Okay, right. yeah. I, I remember that's the first time I ever laid eyes on him and yeah. thought, good job, Larry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, those are the three. Yeah, I mean, all just amazing in and of themselves. One of the things I, I want to talk to you about, if, if we can focus on Molly for a little bit, just because the movie's out, there's all this stuff going on. I just watched yesterday uh, an interview with uh, where she was on the Ellen show. Right. And my God, this woman is beautiful. She's articulate. She's bright. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's been like for you on this journey, watching this happen. The book, first she wrote the book, Molly's Game. Correct. And then it was made into this major motion picture, now up for an Academy Award. Tell me, tell me, tell, I guess, listeners that aren't familiar with the movie a little bit about the premise. Molly had graduated college and uh, was headed to law school, but decided to take a detour to California. And she went to California wanting to change the cold for the warmth and had a difficult time at first, had to work a couple, three jobs and then got involved in uh, working for this man. Who had the po- had, who had this poker game, and uh, she got involved in the poker game, and he was a very difficult guy, and the poker game got bigger and bigger, and it was the poker players were well-known actors, athletes, uh, businessmen, and uh, the like, and so Molly uh, coordinated the game, and then eventually took over the game, and ran that game in in uh, California for about four years, and she would get tips. But these were gigantic pots, Mm -hmm. and so she made out very well. And then that game ended due to a conflict with one of the uh, actors. It is written in the book. It's not in the movie because none of the names are in the movie. Then went to New York and did the same thing. And after two years in New York, the game was bigger in New York. They got to a point where there was a $250,000 buy-in. And uh, she uh, did that for two years and then then crossed the line. Everything up to that point was legal. 
okay. and crossed the line and uh, took a rake. A rake is a percentage of the pot. Somebody convinced her to do that because they had a lot of money on the street. She was the bank, essentially. Mm-hmm. And she, she did that to cover who was not paying her. And that crossed the line. You have to have a gaming license. And was approached by numbers of people to play in the game and so on and so forth. And I, I got involved. The two, two people who were Russians wanted to be her partners to collect money for her. Mm-hmm. And she knew that was a bad idea. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, somebody broke into her, apart- into her apartment and beat her up very badly, oh. put a gun in her mouth. Oh, my God. Um, if you see the movie, you'll see the scene. And then, um, and then that was the end of it. She was uh, put on trial and uh, with 33 other men. Many of them went to prison. She did not. Uh, she had to pay a fine and do community service because the judge was not convinced that she was a part of the more serious problems uh, of the in some of the individuals that were in the game. So, in a thumbnail sketch, that's that was the story. Wow, wow. I mean, this is your little girl. This is my little girl who the federal government said, you're under arrest, the United States of America versus Molly Bloom. Um, Now, turn over your hard drives because we're interested in data. And if you don't turn it over, we're taking your $4 million away. And she said she could not turn that hard, those hard Mm -hmm. drives over because it would ruin lives. Wow. And and they did. They took the money away. What was it like for you? I, I'm, I'm just wondering a, a couple things. Seeing that movie, seeing this portrayal of your daughter's life, and I don't, I don't know if you were experiencing this with her as she was going through it. Were so, you aware of what was going on? When she was in the poke? I yeah. was very well aware of it. Okay. So experiencing it for the first time, we were flown to Toronto by uh, Mr. Sorkin and the whole family went. Oh, Jeremy was not able to make it at a previous commitment, but everybody else was there. And we watched it at the the world premiere of the Toronto Film Festival. And what was it like for me? Completely surreal. I was in another universe watching this thing unfold in front of me. Very, very unbelievable watching my daughter's life unfold. It was surreal. So we've been talking about your daughter's movie, Molly's Game. And I want to share a clip here, and I wanted to, to set it up first. In this clip, Kevin Costner plays you talking to a young Molly who's been skiing since 6 o'clock in the morning, is tired, and you're there coaching her saying, again, Molly. This is a unique look into some of the dynamics of your relationship with your daughter. And I want to share this clip now. Almost. You gotta keep your eyes up. Okay? Always gotta look ahead. 
If you look down, that's where you're gonna go. If you look down, that's where you go. Ready? Let's go. My father's a therapist and a psychology professor at Colorado State. No! The second rule of his house is that academic excellence no. and athletic excellence weren't optional. You can't be afraid of it, all right? Don't play defense. And the first rule was that he made all the rules. Again. Dad, I'm pretty tired. And she's tired. We've been out here since 6 o'clock. Her lips are blue. You tired? Yeah. What's another word for tired? Name a synonym for tired, and we'll get in the car. Weak. That's right. Let's go home. Again. How, how accurate was the portrayal, did you find? So there was a lot of it that was very accurate, but there were parts of it where the screenplay took a certain amount of creative control to uh, make it more entertaining. As a matter of fact, Aaron Sorkin came up to me after the production and said, nervously, what did you think? Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. said, Aaron, I truthfully loved the movie. I was a bit challenged by the unidimensions of my character that was played by Kevin Costner. Yes. And he said to me, Larry, this was not a documentary. It is a movie. I didn't necessarily want to show the loving and fun side of you. I was trying to create a connection between you as a dad uh, pushing Molly and the development of her will. So that made a lot mm -hmm. of sense to me at the mm -hmm. time, but I certainly have had comments from critics and from people and from emails and my phone blowing up. I've certainly had a lot of comments about my role yeah. in the movie. Yes, yeah, because it doesn't portray, of course, if it's unidimensional, right. and we were talking about this, it, it portrays you as the tiger dad. Right. And that's not really the reality of, of who you were well, as a father. And, and I guess that's that's what I want to so, kind of move so into. So I did, I did expect competence from from my children but I, I my my style was a little bit different than Kevin's yes in, in the in the movie for example I I didn't want them to use excuses to enjoy life and I said I talked about using excuses before so if mm -hmm. I could just segue into an example there, there I had three little we had three little children and they would say occasionally I don't want to go skiing today because we skied a great deal. I don't want to go skiing today. And I said, well, why not? Well, it's too cold. I said, okay, kiddo, sit down. There's no such thing as too cold. It's bad clothes. Just put a lot of clothes on and go out there. Oh, okay, dad. Oh, okay, daddy. You know, when they're little, they, they listen to you. Yeah. So, so uh, they would put a lot of clothes on and they went out there and they enjoyed themselves and they had a great time. They had a blast. They had a blast. So I, no excuses. Uh, one time I was training Molly at her request because she wanted to get a, a free ski pass, which I was interested in as well. And she had to run and jump and do this. And so she was running a 400 meter or something. I think she was 15 or 14. I'm not sure. 
and she came up to me and she says, I'm done. I said, well, you didn't make the time. She said, I'm done anyway. I said, well, if you don't make the time, you're not going to get the gold medal and the free pass. That's that, your choice here. She says, I want to go home. I said, okay, let's go. She said, no, I'm not going to go home. So I, I, I was, uh, I, 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 I pushed, but in, in, a, in, in a certain kind of way, which was a little bit different than the movie. What, what else did you notice about maybe the differences and like, like the reality of who you were as a parent right. and, you know, right. what so, was portrayed? Listen, philosophically, I, I, I think you first have to have a base of love and connection between your, your children as they're growing up. To do that, you got to show up. You got to be loving. You have to spend time with them. And I did. I, I, I was affectionate. I told them stories at night. I took them into grocery stores and did funny things with them, which I'm not going to say on the radio. <laughs> I was a fun dad. I was a loving dad. But I also, you know, didn't want them to have excuses. I want them to enjoy life. So, so you have to have that love, that foundation, that base there. And you, can, you get that by spending time with them and doing some of the things that I said. And then... Secondly, you have to model that what you want them to be. If they look up to you and they, and they have that love and they see you as a parent putting what you're telling them to be and, 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 and how to be into action, they're going to see that in you. And they, if they want to be like you, then, then they'll inculcate that in themselves. And they'll emulate and that. And they'll emulate. Yeah. So... I was that guy, and their mother was that person. And then the third thing was, uh, you know, I, I come back to this. Enjoy life and go for it. And if you go for it, really go for it, and no excuses. Don't blame anybody else. I don't want to hear you had a bad teacher. It's up to you. Uh, whether you have a good teacher or you have a bad teacher. I don't want to hear it's too cold. Just put more clothes on. You know, that kind of thing. I didn't stand there with a whip. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and do right. this. But, right. But, but, but there was an accountability piece. There was an accountability piece, right. You know, and, and you not only modeling for them, hey, this is what it's like to plug into life. This is what it's like to live at this kind of standard. Right. But this is the expectation for you. Right. And uh, it was okay with me if whatever they wanted to do, it, it, but it, it was not okay if they were uh, just goofing off doing it right if they want to do it and you that's something you want to do you want to be you want to do dance whatever just just go for it do it well go for it yeah and so that, philosophically that was kind of you know where i was coming from i love it yeah so larry one one of the other questions around what happened with molly and when she was in the court proceedings she was facing potentially 10 years in prison what was it like for you going through that process? Well, a as you might imagine, being a parent of a child that was facing that kind of prison time was um, very trying, very nerve-wracking. Um, I had a great deal of faith in her attorney. He was an angel looking over Molly. He used to be a uh, federal prosecutor for a number of years himself. And now he was on the defense side. So I had a great deal of faith in him. I had a great deal of faith in the uh, criminal justice system. I did not think that Molly, I know she broke the law, 
but I did not think she was involved in any of the money laundering that was going on or anything like that. I think she was in that realm an innocent victim. So, so I had hope that a judge could see that, but it was extremely nerve-wracking. Oh, I bet. I was in the courtroom uh, watching the proceedings, and it was uh, one of the more trying times of my life. Absolutely. And, and we could have a whole other episode on this, but I'm, I'm curious, what, what did you do, Larry, to help ground yourself during that time so you weren't in panic mode, so you were able to hold on to that hope? Because everybody goes through these, you know, not something maybe that challenging, but every, everyone goes through these times in their lives where they're kind of pushed to the end of their being and they're experiencing something, especially when it's something like this, when it's a child or it's a family member, it's happening actually to someone else. And there can really be this sense of helplessness that sets in. Well, I, I think what I did, and, and, and I had to keep doing it because it, it, it wasn't a perfect strategy, but it was a good strategy, was I kept choosing. I said to myself, well, look, Larry, you can choose to think that your daughter's going to go to prison and you can be miserable when you don't know what's going to happen. Or you can choose to think that she's going to experience some punishment, but the federal judge who was responsible for this will see the truth. And so I kept choosing to think that way and imagine that and believe in that. And I had to keep doing it. And I had to yeah, keep doing it yeah. because it, it was so scary. So one of, one of the things, so this, this might sound like it's coming from left field a little bit, but your experience as a dad, your experience as a therapist, you know, so I, I guess I'm wondering if you could take all of this wisdom, this experience in this area that we've been talking about. You know, obviously, Molly herself, each one of your kids have crafted this spark-filled life. They've seen it modeled. They're living it. But if you could so take this and condense it down to a single message about how someone could best ignite their own sparks, just to kind of bring this full circle, what would you tell them? I would tell them that they're probably only going around once, that they have the responsibility to themselves to live the best life that they can and to go for a life that is fulfilling to them, not only based upon what they have to do, we all understand mm -hmm. that people have to do things, but also based upon what they don't have to do, but what, what they're really passionate about. And I would say, don't let yourself be unemployed at achieving that spark-filled life for yourself, because nobody's going to do it for you except you. That's what I would say. Yeah. You have to show up and be priority in your own life. Exactly. You have you, to do you, it. That's not selfish. No, it's good selfish if it's selfish. Right, but, right. You know, you know, it, you, you're going to blend that with everything else you do in your life. But you, you, you have to care for yourself enough that you bring that to your life. It's just not enough to exist on this planet, and right. and it takes no talent whatsoever. You just have to. Go for it, whatever that is. doesn't take yeah. any talent. Yes. It may work. It may not work. But it takes no talent I to love go that. for it. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. 
You know, and I, and I think that's an important point, though, right there. It's it's choosing, just like you're choosing when we're talking about, you know, creating this life, creating, you know, sparks in your life, creating a new activity. It's we, this, too. We, we have right? a choice. I yeah. just came back from a, uh, and I, I went to this workshop, and the person who was doing the workshop was a former monk, a Buddhist therapist. And I'll never forget one thing he said in this workshop. He said, at any given time in life, a person has an infinite number of reasons why they could suffer. But at any given moment in life, the same person has an infinite number of reasons of why they could be grateful. And it all depends on where you turn your attention. So where your attention goes, energy flows. I mean, that's one of the, the quotes that I love and I live by. One of the books that's out right now, I don't know if you've read by Gabrielle Bernstein, The Universe Has Your Back. No, it's, I haven't. It's, it's I haven't. Choosing Love Over Fear, I think is the subtitle. And, and that's really it. I mean, that's the, the essence of that book is that you, we have a choice. We have so much power in the concept of choice to not get enmeshed in all the negativity because that's where, the, that's where the, you're going to flow. Yes. Yeah. You're going to have a negative flow. And we have so much power, but people don't always re realize that. Exactly. Right. And, and I think that was where I was coming from earlier in the show when I was asking you about, you know, putting on that mindset. I guess that that's, you know, what I was leading to, yeah. too, is yeah. we, we do have a choice. We can we can say, yes, I feel this way. I feel scared. I, I am terrified right now. And I'm going to choose to hold on to this hope. I'm going to choose to focus and, and that's in and, this way. And that's that was the way that I was trying to um, deal with it. And then I would say to myself, this is just a thought. The, the fact that she's going to go, it's just words right now. Look at the other side of it and choose to to see the hope in the situation and the, and, and the belief that we're going to get through this. One of the phrases that I use a lot with my clients when they're worrying about something in the future that, of course, we have no control over. You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, sometimes you can be light with yourself about this. Mm -hmm. And you can say to yourself, have I received a check lately from the Psychic Friends Network? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> if I have not, right. I, I am not psychic, so right. I don't know what's right. going to happen. I don't we, know what's going to happen we, when I walk out of the studio. No, we don't have crystal balls. Right. We really don't. So I, I have a choice. I can, like you were saying earlier, I could think the worst case scenario, my daughter's going to prison and I am miserable. Right. Or I can say you know what, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this hope. I'm going to imagine her getting through this. It's going to be okay. And in the end, even if she would have gone to prison, you would have been able to cope with it so much better having held on to that hope through right. the process. Right. I could talk to you for hours. Um, we have talked for hours I know. in the past. In the past, we have for hours and hours and hours, and I'm so thankful for right. that. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for you being here with me and being a part of this first show it means a lot to me, Larry. Well, I'll tell you what, your listeners are in for a treat because you are so marvelous and you have such wisdom and intuition. And I think this is going to be a wonderful gig for you. And the people who listen to you are going to be very fortunate. Thank you, Larry. My pleasure.
So we've been talking with Larry Bloom, clinical psychologist, former CSU professor, and father of Molly Bloom, whose current movie, Molly's Game, is in theaters now. In talking with Larry, some of the things that really stood out to me, in the beginning, talking about creating this this life that's spark-filled, the importance of really defining what it is that brings pleasure and happiness, passion to your life, and then plugging into that, being able to define that for yourself, taking the risks to step into your life, try those things on, try those things out, and just go for it. That's one of the essential messages I heard in what he was saying. So my husband and I went to see Molly's Game last night. And in viewing that, just saw that shining example through Molly's life in that film portrayed through how she would not take any defeat that, that, was, that was presented with her, whether it was when she had back surgery as a young child and wasn't going to be able to ski. And then she's skiing down, you know, a year later, huge mountains and becoming, again, a world-class skier to when she decided, okay, no, I'm taking the reins of my life and I'm going to do what works for me. I'm not going to law school, even though that's expected of me, and decided instead I'm going to L.A. when she got involved in the gambling scene and made that her career and learned the craft and took it to the next level. And she kept reinventing herself through this film. I mean, her drive was incredible. And so I think it was exemplary to this how do we define and then create and craft this spark-filled life? That's what she did. And so it's, it's wonderful through my talk with Larry, through the example, through Molly in that movie, giving us the incentive, giving us the idea that we too, no matter what adversities we face, we can come back and design this life for ourselves. We can choose to go forward in our lives and have sparks, have motivation, have the kind of life that we truly want to live. You've been listening to The Spark on KRFC. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Join us next time when our topic will be From Prejudice to Understanding, and our guest will be Dr. Mark Ben. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at thespark at krfcfm.org. The Spark is produced by KRFC in Fort Collins, Colorado, and can be heard on 88.9 FM. Past episodes are available at our website at krfc.fm. While on our website, you can also hear a number of other community and music programs from KRFC Network. To make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life.